Hi folks, I am Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on July the 27th, 2014. I hope you're all doing well and not flying into blind panics at all the hyper-news because we live in a hyper-news society as part of your training. Constant fear, terror, worry, uh, look to government to protect and defend you and the cost is only that all your rights are taken away in the process. It works awfully well, doesn't it? And most folk do acquiesce to it and, and go along with, well, what else can they do? We need them to protect us against, and they've got a whole host of countries and, and bad people that they can bring up to tell you who they're going to defend you against. But this is tricks been used for thousands of years. You wouldn't have an elite class at all in anywhere in the world if, if they, early on, Certain families didn't catch on They could actually become the elite classes How can you live better Than everyone else who's scratching a living In any era in fact How can you live better Than anyone else If you're bring home the same as everyone else So many cabbages and lettuces Or whatever it happens to be And the way you live well Is to live off of everybody else And to do so You need a leisure class you see and to bring a leisure class in, you need slavery to begin with. That's really how it starts. And because people don't voluntarily put themselves into slavery, uh, not until you're trained to do so, and then it becomes much easier. You think it's all quite normal, uh, especially when they tell you you're still free. But in ancient times, big, big families, and families had, especially when they're in polygamous societies, they could have big families, which were tribes eventually, and they could go off conquering and taking over slaves, and, and the slaves were their wealth. You counted, the money comes from counting men, mon, you see, you find it in the Middle East. So this is, nothing's really changed except their perceptions and their conditioning and how to perceive things have been changed. We're given our perceptions, you see. Uh, every day, in fact, through all the newscasts that you get, they give you the conclusions you're supposed to arrive at, you see. Why why work it in it yourself when some expert's done it for you already? Uh, it's become so easy. It never dawns on most folk to check into any story they possibly hear and find out the real whys and wherefores and who benefits, who gains, etc. Someone always gains out of it. Always. Very, in fact, I think never, to be honest with you, has ever a war carried out in any way whatsoever as a moral, for a moral purpose. I don't think so. They might use that once in a while, but it's completely untrue. But it will always be used as long as we fall for it. And um, every soldier, too, like Kissinger said, and Kissinger has said this in, in one of his own books, too, in fact, and I've mentioned it many times, he said that the average soldier, the soldier, is a an animal who's used for foreign policy. That's what, that's what eat. So that tells you how they think of uh, the, the people that, that, that tell you to become, to protect or defend or go off to war uh, your country. That's what they really believe you are. You're just, it actually, it's actually said dumb, stupid animals to go to, who are used for foreign policy. And that's a psychopath talking there, you see. And we've been ruled by psychopaths for an awful long time. Of a long time. And it's even worse since ancient times when some of the top psychopaths got together, the families, for arranging marriages because they like to arrange wealth transfers, basically, and amalgamations of families for wealth purposes. 
and they could then have more slaves cumulatively, etc., uh, etc., et and power over others. But once eventually they had to give, always, if nothing happened much except slavery, uh, the slaves would tend to get rather ticked off and maybe rebel and it would fall apart. So they always had to find wars and skirmishes or threats of wars to keep it all going. And through these wars, the elite families always enriched themselves with more slaves, property, gold, silver, jewels, and and everything else you can imagine. It's quite interesting that really everything that's tangibly got value, according to those who rule even the the day's money system, is technically useless for any other purpose. Your your emeralds and all the rest of it, and your diamonds and gold. Uh, You're better with some good steel or something like that they can use and make a hinge or something practical and useful. But, you see, nothing really is what it appears to be. And those who are in control of these things decide what things are going to be valuable and those things which are not. But I mentioned last week, I think, I was thinking about society in general again and how, down through the ages, once established religion comes in, which always gets co-opted by uh, the power uh, wealth establishment, and then they get a healthy symbiosis going together, which dominates the people and keeps them placid and happy and gives them a reason for the meaning of life and all that, and the purpose of things. Uh, you, you find that the, the purpose of a religion changes into changing you. Uh, the whole part, the point of religion really is to u- make everyone uniform in a certain moral code and a way of living in a particular place uh, and, and people, basically. Uh, some are universal religions, uh, which are they take recruits in from all over. All religions have been universal at one time pretty well, and some have retreated back into being uh, simply for the, themselves. Uh, they're special, it's their God, and they should dominate, and so on. Uh, other ones uh, have, uh, especially when they're failing, tried to recruit more and more people in altogether to boost their numbers, which also boosts their confidence in their own belief system. The more numbers they get, the more the, the story, or whatever it happens to be, must be true. That's how simple it is, because uh, authorized religions are always authorized by those in power, and when they become accepted by those in power, they've lost their savor, as it would say in the New Testament. You've lost your revolutionary power when you're accepted by uh, the ruling establishment, the powerful, wealthy people, the overlords, etc. But you'll find that it's been an ancient plan always to change humanity along someone's idea of thinking, or way of thinking, or direction of thinking and as to how it should be done, changing the base uh, material into gold, you might say. And it's no different today with the scientific age. In fact, it's accelerated through the scientific age as bioethics come into it and eugenics come into it, all to do with supposed improvement of humanity uh, to suit someone's idea of, of the perfect society. There's no vote given out to the public on this kind of thing. Never will be, never has been. It's simply it's, uh, the elite have got together, and and along with elite, they use academia to because they're all trying to understand all of you all the time. That's why the total information networks are on, been ongoing for years. 
to get everyone's profile and updated profile daily, basically, on every single person to see if their indoctrination is having a universal effect to see if we're all changing and complying and, and updating the PC terms and using them and discarding the old bad terms, uh, which used to be good terms, etc., etc., to see if it's working because it's to do with control. Everything eventually becomes dark, comes down to control. Uh, truths are often used to start things off, but they're 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 soon uh, taken over, as I say, by power establishment elites and the psychopathic type, of course, for their own ends. So, this is the unfortunate part of simply existing in any particular time or era. Today, it's far more perfected that the art of of uh, standardising people and creating a. a uh, this homogenous uh, people who who all believe the same things and say the same things and watch the same shows and watch the same movies and, and get updated along with everyone else at the same time with the new terminology that they're given you to keep repeating to yourself. Because the more you repeat things to yourself, the more you start to believe it. George Orwell went through the process with his various vocabulary and, and doublethink, etc., and the ability to hold two opposing views in your head at the same time without breaking down. And it was shown very well even in the movie's version of that too, the ability to have those two opposing views. Today, uh, certain topics come up in conversation, and your Pavlovian conditioning will set, will set you off from default into complying with what you're supposed to say as opposed to what you might really think. And, and you'll even feel guilty about what you really think. Uh, it's a very simple technique of uh, creating guilt in people. But you, you'll, you'll say the right thing because your default position will kick in immediately. You've been trained that way. So what I'm saying are the sciences are, are so perfected today. And there's nothing you can watch, non-fiction, fiction, or read a novel that doesn't have all the updates in them because the, these novelists and writers get writ, get paid money by the Department of Culture. Every company has one from the government, and they pay to have all these things inserted as we get updated into the standardized human being. And people will think, well, I'm different from everybody else, but you're not really at all. You have all the same basic desires. It wouldn't matter what year you're born in, you have the same basic desires and needs and so on, and drives. Uh, but you're, you're really... Uh, even, even those who are being promiscuous don't realize that they've been taught to be promiscuous and have a free reign over what they think is their lives. There seems to be lots of choice out there, but it's not really lots of choice because there's nothing that you can do in life that doesn't have a comeback upon you. For every action, there's an opposite, an equal and opposite reaction. That's a very true saying, and uh, and that goes along with everything that, that happens to be. But if everyone's being promiscuous at the same time, uh, how does that make you different? Especially when guys like Julian Huxley and and Russell and other ones said that they would create a society that would do this, and there'd be no taboos whatsoever as long as they didn't have offspring. You see, so it's kind of like someone constantly drinking, drinking, drinking. Uh, when, when, and the, the, what they're drinking uh, wouldn't get passed into their bloodstream or their body as a fluid to keep them alive. That they're 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 doing something that's a defunct a defunct ending. If you if you know what I'm saying. Academia is so vastly used today to train future leaders and bureaucrats and so on. 
and scientists who worked together towards this common cause of changing all of us all the anthropological associations and you have uh, your sociological associations and, and on and it goes, psychiatric, uh, psychological, uh, various other institutions, all working towards creating the perfect individual. But what do they mean by the perfect individual? Uh, that they're all, uh, and of course, in academia, uh, they bring in evolution, this strange phenomenon, uh, which we need an awful lot of faith to believe it, because it's a religion. But they bring an evolution uh, that, that is somehow their destiny to, to train mankind and to alter mankind uh, physically as well down their way to make the perfect human beings for society to have peace, you see, and to be compliant with each other and compliant to their masters because they'll always give you masters. Because those at the top believe that they should themselves become un- remain unaffected by all the conditioning and, and all the genetic tampering that goes on. Uh, because they have to steer planet Earth and make decisions like a wild animal uh, with all of its faculties working, whereas you will not need that because the state will be rearing you from birth to death and training you whether you know it or not, and they have been, and they'll give you their values and so on, and uh, you won't have to make decisions. They'll give you a choice of maybe five things, all all approved uh, to do, and you go and do it. You think you're making your own choice, but you're not. Li- you're actually limited into going to those five avenues, and uh, the big boys achieve their goal because the state's making all the big decisions for you. You see, so you don't. You don't need your own wildness, your own uh, uh, survival capabilities intact. They want to blunt them and make you domesticated, as if the big big plan, of course, to go into transhumanism and then bring in new kinds of functioning uh, human beings, which are genetically created from scratch, basically, like Brave New World. And you can go back into the 30s, as I say, when they they wrote about this stuff, and the world meetings they had it through the the League of Nations. It ramped it up during World War II because of the war itself, saying, see, see, we can't allow people just to do what they want. Well, the people don't do what they want. They do what they're told. And when you get drafted to go off in a war, you go off and fight it, or you go to prison, that's your, your democratic choice, right? So you find that people really are given no choice at all uh, to do things. There's always a repercussion if you say no to the demand that governments make upon you. And you must also believe in the reasons for the wars, like World War II, that you're given. Uh, and you must also believe all the standardized versions that come out immediately afterwards. It's the same with everything else that happens in the world, the 9-11 event and so on. You must believe the authorized versions or you're a cook, they say. So we live in a world of, of mass manipulation. Uh, just going through uh, all the talks I've given on Bernays, the so-called father of uh, marketing, how to make people buy anything at all, from toothpaste to cars to whatever, um, or even to get women to smoke or, or drink uh, beer, etc., and bars. Uh, he's the father of it, supposedly, because he knew to, through, through mass persuasion, the right kind of persuasion, supposedly using Freudian psychology, uh, how to get to the basic instincts and hyper, hypersensitize them and hyperdrive them into making them buy certain things that are going to make you happy. And that's still used today in advertising. They sell you dreams and fantasy. They tell you nothing basically about the quality of the product. 
uh, or even uh, uh, how long the transmission is going to last in a car are guaranteed, etc. You sold sold the fantasy. So everything else out there on television is the same thing. You're getting sold fantasy, including the news, by the way. And going back to the, the 40s, 50s, and 60s, you have no idea how many world meetings they had. And many of them were held, especially in the United States, that had the big tax base. They weren't hurt so much at the time uh, with the cost of World War II, uh, where other countries were to- totally in the hole, and to the banks, of course, who profited from the wars. And you find that uh, they were concerned about the, the future too many people, overpopulation, lack of uh, resources, food, etc. So the 60s were a, an immense time to, for governments and departments to merge completely with academia and the various social sciences and, and psychological sciences to, and how to handle people, how to manipulate them even more uh, to make them the perfect citizens, as perfect as you could be, good taxpayers who go home and watch their TVs at night and, and do what they were told to do, basically. And when it came to war, they'd join up immediately and do what they were told and go off and get killed. So, uh, and the rest, of course, were left to pay off the, off the debts uh, incurred during the wars. So this is the, the perfect system they wanted to bring in. And that's when they got into schooling in a very big way, of course, was to rear them uh, from childhood in the schools using the, the techniques worked out by Bertrand Russell in the 1930s through experimental schools uh, so that the parent would simply be the caretaker, the economic provider of the child, while the state, and also with the use of the media and entertainment, would, would give the new values to the children. And that was very successfully carried out too. So academia is really up there in all of this. And I've always found that birds of a feather fly together. You find that the psychopathic types can certainly work together. It's not true that they cannot. They can work together very well on a certain level if they're only getting their personal needs and interests met. And that their craving for power and status and approval, etc., is all being met. Um, And they can work together in combinations or international corporations. They can, they can do very little actual work as such, but they're figureheads to an extent. They're very glib, they're likable and presentable, and they can put things across in a way that they know the people will accept it and, and follow it too. So don't ever think that psychopaths uh, don't get up there. They really do get up there into politics and into the heads of, of, of big uh, uh, cutthroat organizations in Wall Street, places like that. They thrive in those places where they can stab each other as they claw their way up to the top. But once at the top, uh, they're approached by even higher psychopaths who formed their clubs and says, if you want to go any higher or even continue to exist, do what we tell you or you won't be around for very long. And they get the message loud and clear and they can conform and comply, etc. Other ones work in academia and various sciences, uh, all to do with uh, repeating experiments on animals and then on humans, of course, in the psychological uh, areas, uh, to see how we behave, how they can change behavior, and so on and so on. A lot, a lot of that goes on, and yet you know nothing about. You're constantly being experimented upon. Uh, and the CIA, of course, is a big part of this, believe it or not. 
what I'm trying to tell you, nothing is out there is really what it's there for. We've been trained to believe it's there for, including the CIA. The CIA, when they're doing the MK Ultra and other uh, allied programs at the same time, they hired thousands and thousands of prostitutes over many years, 20, 25, 30 years, and trained them to an extent to give certain drugs and test drugs out on Johns that they'd bring home to their paid-for apartments, paid for by the, the taxpayers of America, and they, they were studied on, under cameras with effects of the drugs and so on. But they also wanted to see that the, 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 if, if the hypersexualization of the younger generations over that long span was having a different effect too, and of course they, they were intensely interested in seeing that it was all working awfully well. So we're constantly being uh, experimented upon. You are, even if you think you're not on the, on the internet, you, you certainly are with the memes and themes that are put out there for you to follow. The nudges you get constantly uh, when you look up some news article, oh, others also looked at this. You're being guided and guided and guided to read things which will leave a, a conclusion in your mind about a particular topic or topics all the time. And this is a big, big thing today as you, on your ongoing training. I actually wonder what they meant uh, in the old communist and socialist organizations in Britain when they talked about lifelong training. And this is what they meant. For, for, for your entire life, you'll constantly be retrained, upgraded, and up, upgraded with new thoughts, new opinions, as you discard the old opinions and you're given the new PC ones that your masters have decreed are the ones for you today. It's, it's quite fascinating when you stop and think about it all. But to show you how academia and the psychopathic types got into it, and I remember psychopaths have different traits. Some of them are awfully, awfully likable. That's how they get through life. Uh, people never suspect them of having psychopathic traits at all. And, and it isn't until long after things are over, look back and say, God, that person manipulated me so darned easy because they were so charming or whatever it happened to be. And and, um, and same with gurus as well. The gurus can do the same thing. They can see the weaknesses in everybody immediately and exploit it for their own ends. Well, the psychopath is a master at that. And they, they can be awfully, they can be well-known people in public or on television and, and so on and so on. But anyway, getting back to one example, and this is from a book. I've mentioned this book some years back, and it was written in the 1960s. I think 68 it was, by Roderick Gorney, M.D., and he was into psychology, psychiatry, etc., etc. But uh, he said that in the writing of his book, then his old mentor, the words of his old mentor came back to him, where he said that uh, uh, the M.D. is a true psychiatrist because the M.D. sees the general population more so than a psychiatrist where patients are sent to him, most like patients. But the MD practices this form in his, in his office as well. But he's trying to do it through drugs, altering behavior, not just helping to allay illnesses. I don't say cure illnesses because allopathic medicine is not in the business of curing an illness. They want to treat symptoms from as, for as long as you live because it's more profitable that way. That's why it was set up this way, in fact. And But uh, the GP also uh, is, is able to give out psychiatric drugs today and tranquilizers and things too, which uh, some do with uh, rapidity, 
and there are, there are copious in their doses too. But the fact is, they, they enjoy experimenting. This little power that they feel that they have, uh, they, they take for granted now, and they love to experiment on the general public. They feel a sense of power when they can change the behavior in someone, and never forget that. Uh, it's so far removed from the old days of um, the, the Hippocratic Oath. Uh, you, you can never get back to it, in fact. And very few folk, and especially the doctors, ever read the Hippocratic Oath and what it talks about. Do no harm is one of the prime um, motifs of it, basically, the mottos. Do no harm, and uh, and so on. And plus confidentiality of patients. At that time, a, a doctor was like a priest to his patient. Whatever happened there was totally secret between the patient and the doctor. Today that's out the window with the, everything's on the computer, the doctors put it up, especially in nationalized health countries, and all the person's data is added to all their other data so the government can know all about you. Now this is Roderick uh, Gorney that uh, wrote this book, it's called The Human Agenda. He said that uh, it's the most marvelous moment of man to be alive, you see. And it is for these kind because exciting opportunities for the psychopathic types. This is neither blindness nor optimism underlies this judgment. For the first time in our two million or so more years, we have the possibility of enough to go round. It was a big thing in the 60s. They were saying, oh, well, there really is enough to go round at the moment. But then they get into the butts, you see. And I'll get into the butts later. That's, that's how you get an audience around you. Oh, that's not, you tell them what they want to hear, don't you? Same with, same with these authors. There's enough to go around. Although destitution still torments us, scarcity could be replaced at last by abundance as a central condition of human life. That sounds wonderful. Wouldn't you want to go and hear a guy like that? Lots of folk would, you see. These are the groupy types that run from, from guru to the next guru, you see. So the new condition promises more than a sufficiency of things. Although we may short-sightedly reject the opportunity for the first time, the future promises that all human beings may look forward to a fully human life, the right to explore, to be, and to become potentially whatever they desire. Sounds wonderful, doesn't it? That's how these guys catch you off the, at the beginning, to make sure that you, you, you follow them. They, they give you what you want to hear. Santa Claus is coming to town. You see? It says, yeah, everywhere there is spreading a fear that man, man cannot survive the byproducts of abundance. I believe that this blight of hope springs from two seemingly contradictory causes. Number one is concern that we do not have the material resources or cooperativeness to neutralize in times such hazards as war, overpopulation, poverty, pollution, and injustice. Then concern, that's the number two, concern that we do have these capabilities and will use them and will therefore soon find ourselves living in a world in which our preferences, plans, and goals, which grow out of scarcity and affect our values, will have become obsolete. He then goes on to say things which others have said before him. He says, whereas we're conscious of our fear of annihilation, most of us as yet are unconscious of our fear that we may survive. This anxiety I believe to be the major obstacle to resolution of the threats that imperil us. Powerful people among us are so terrorized unconsciously at finding themselves cast adrift in paradise without a map, without the guiding star of scarcity, to tell them what is right or wrong, good or bad, worthwhile 
or worth doing, basically. That they, again, unconsciously would prefer extinction. Uh, dedicated to preserving yesterday, they're tempted to wipe out the experiment of man and throw away the victory that belongs to us all. Then he goes on long rambles about uh, his belief in evolution and where, that, where, where man's need comes from, from, from scarcity in itself, etc., he doesn't go into the fact that that uh, that uh, too much of anything uh, can have a, a similar neurotic effect as well, uh, and we see that definitely in ruling families who have interbred so much as well. They want more and more power. They're terrified of losing it, and terrified of losing uh, the chambermaids and chambermaids that uh, you know clean their bum after going to the toilet, things like that. So. He omits so much that means so so much to know, and it's by omission that they guide you along a path so that you'll agree with him himself, the author, because after his after his beginning of this enough to go round blah blah blah, he will go into eugenics, depopulation, or and the culling off of the wrong kinds of people, and that kind of thing. Always comes down to who should survive, doesn't it? Doesn't it always? And then they'd have this wonderful utopia of the right kind of people that should be allowed to survive. Now, that was the same idea as socialism. I've mentioned before, and I've played it on the air from an old, old movie reel of uh, George Bernard Shaw, co-founder of a Fabian Society for Socialism, uh, which was a great pal of uh, the communists, actually. In fact, they even said they had a direct link to the desk of the Kremlin. But Shaw said that when we are in charge, when we become fully in charge, you will all come to us asking us, uh, and and you'll ask us something as to why we should keep you alive. You're a cog in the machine, in other words, for the the greater good of all, etc., etc., so it goes in through man's, goes on to talk about man's adaptation, with the Darwinian theories of adaptation to situations for survival purposes. And we certainly do have that ability to adapt. But knowing this too, and knowing that the, the, the different process or dynamics that go into making adaption, adaptation occur, uh, remember these guys can manipulate you to, into adapting to anything. Hollywood knows that awfully well with its comedies. That's how they get to accept things which used to be awfully repugnant in the past, and now you sit and laugh at them as they've intended you to. Uh, they can change the way you look at things and respond to things and so on. If they can do it with, with uh, basic basic sexual things, they can, make you, they can do it with anything that comes along the pike, believe you me. But anyway, remember that nothing comes out of the, the, work, the mouths of psychiatrists and psychologists uh, especially when they belong to big organizations. And even though it tells you the different institutions he belongs to and so on, it doesn't tell you in this book of any governmental work that he is also involved in. I guarantee you he will have definitely been involved in various organizations of government to, because government's got the biggest, biggest stake in finding out how to manipulate the peoples en masse to create the standardized human, and to get us to accept things that perhaps we shouldn't accept at all. In the section called Eugenics, he says, the more conservative in terms of current values is called negative eugenics. 
It involves trying just to prevent defective contraceptions. Now, that's what it was supposed to be, but whenever the, there's a much bigger goal behind it all, as you know, abortion is abortion. And now it's simply in the way, it's a nuisance. Uh, it's the product of an act, uh, generally, someone agreed to, to participate in. And, uh, and then now they treat it like a disease, like pregnancy is a disease, because the big boys don't want you to have so many children, or in fact any at all, according to certain classes. But it says here that um, it involves trying to just to prevent the defective conceptions. It says that this can be done at present by persuading those who have a high likelihood of transmitting genetic defect uh, on to their children not to reproduce. But that's difficult. It says, a few years ago I consulted with a young mother who'd watched her first child die slowly at the age of two from a genetic brain disease called amorotic idiocy. The chance of another child sharing the same fate was estimated by a geneticist at one in four. After much conflict, she decided to reject his counsel against having another child. She went all through the pregnancy and the first year and a half of the new child's life in dread that he too would begin to become ill when nearing two years of age. But when, but she was lucky, he did not, and is all as well at the age of six, which means he does not have the dreaded defect. However, the chance of his being an unaffected carrier of the trait is 67%. So everything's justified now by percentages. And you know there's, there's whole areas of the sciences of learning how to, to, to do with creating percentages uh, to skew results. It's just astonishing, especially in advertising. Um, they do studies and studies and studies. Government does it all the time too, where by the use of carefully selected uh, studies, they can really skew the results and, and give you certain percentages, which can sound phenomenal. They can say, of, for instance, they can say 50% of those asked this question responded no, and 50% responded yes. But what they might not have told you that that that, that was taken, the study was based on two people who lived in the deep south of the U.S., something like that. Yeah, this is how it's done. It's, so, it's, so, it's all chronology. Everything is when agenda is behind it all. Same with uh, percentages to do with uh, defective children. Remember, under this guise today of, uh, of uh, is the medicine is pushed up to be a total authority over all of you. That's why it's part of the reason, by, by the way, it's not just the big greed of the insurance companies that are getting the money for Obamacare. That's one of the main reasons to be a totally socialized country dominated with governmental departments and so on. Uh, the healthcare is one of them because healthcare uh, is mainly to do with, with uh, the eliminating of inferior types before they get born. That's part of it. The second part of it, too, is, is mandatory inoculations, most of which are not there for the reasons they tell you that they're there for. We didn't have all these multiple cancers before they gave you the polio shot, for instance. But that's another story. But anyway, uh, he talks about uh, different um, cases, etc., uh, to do with uh, not just aborting the children, but sterilizing the ones who carry the, the particular genes that may or may not cause that problem, you see, down the road to, to the offspring. And it would say here that he says that defects can be transmitted by both sperm and egg. If the defect is from the father, he can avoid passing it on by not fertilizing his wife uh, himself. 
so he's advocating surrogates. Today, the couple may still have a child by means of therapeutic insemination, therapeutic insemination, <laughs> therapy. Uh, how often do you go to for th- therapy, <laughs> for insemination? Oh, ten times a week. But anyway, uh, so it says, uh, performed by a doctor using sperm from a donor. Uh, as yet, however, there are no reports of human offspring being re- uh, produced by the reverse procedure of therapeutic uh, uh, innovation of a donor egg, although the technique has proved successful in other mammals. Well, they've done it since this book was written, of course, as you well know. Negative eugenics could now be practiced with a minimum restriction of freedom by uniformly ruling out sperm donors with a history of genetic defect. It is likely that the, c- the community will step in to the area of genetic regulation by establishing required procedures at least for therapeutic insemination to protect parents and children produced by this technique. But eventually, computerized techniques could give a complete record of each marriage license applicant's genetic code. And they most certainly, folks, they most certainly will. And it will be on your health card too. Then, depending on this uh, genetic load, he could be counselled or coerced to reproduce only through therapeutic means. Now, it's said so glibly and simply here, but remember, everything he's saying would mean another, which is fantastic for lawyers, because the law industry is a great industry for folk who want to get lots of of psychopaths going into law, believe you me. Uh, And it's not just chasing ambulances. But uh, maybe the psychopath gets someone else to chase it for him. But the, uh, you, you'll find that, that uh, all these things require new levels of law, and, and lawyers specialize in this area. It's always a booming business for all changes, all changes that come along. So they, they love this idea of evolution, on societal evolution, because they always get more and more business and more jobs for themselves. So he says here that... Uh, Depending on the, the genetic load, he could be counselled or coerced to reproduce only through therapeutic means. The more radical method of genetic intervention is called positive eugenics. It's more radical, but it's called positive, you see. This is a more ambitious and controversial proposal championed, amongst others, by the late Herman Muller, he was at the United Nations, who said, For any group of people who have a rational attitude towards matters of reproduction and who also have a genuine sense of their own responsibility to the next and subsequent generations, and that's a very telling part, your responsibility, see, the means exists right now of achieving a much greater, speedier, and more significant genetic improvement of the population uh, by the use of a selection that could be affected by the most sophisticated methods of treatment of the genetic material that might be available in the 21st century. Well, we're in it, and all this stuff's coming to pass. He proposes by selective... This, by the way, this is the century of change, isn't it? Where all these um, hopes and dreams and, and, and projects have to be done. That's what they, they call it, the century of change. He proposes by selecting... Uh, selective breeding, not only to eliminate the defects we can cover now by reducing the present genetic load, but also to increase the number of people with superior qualities. One way to accomplish this would be to establish sperm and eventually egg banks in which the reproductive cells of individuals with exceptional health, intelligence, or special talent could be preserved. They actually have those already, by the way, very secret ones. 
These could then be used by people who want to produce children with better endowment that would result from their own genes. Some have objected that people would not willingly agree to substitute the sex cells and characteristics of others uh, for their own. Uh, Muller rejects that. He says that the, the stultifying assumption that people uh, would have to be forced rather than inspired to engage in any effective kind of genetic betterment, he points out. That, and this is what Muller said. If the opportunity of germinal uh, choice were opened, a gradually increasing number of seemingly normally, normal couples in addition to a large proportion of those afflicted with seminal inadequacy or obvious genetic defect, would elect to use this means of having at least a part of their family. Moreover, as the saying goes, he says, nothing succeeds like success, and the obvious successes achieved by this method would, within a generation, win its still more adherence. It would constitute a major extension of human freedom in a quite new direction. Now, why was Muller so confident this could be done and this persuasive technique could be used uh, and successfully? Well, I've already given talks in the past. If you go into uh, cuttingthroughthematrix.com website and go through the archive section, I've given talks in the past, lots of them about Bernays, for instance. He's only one big player in all of this. But his speciality was to how to motivate people to do things that they normally would not do how to make them want to do things that they normally would not do. And he talked about the, the creation of consent and the manufacturing of consent in the population. They can eventually, with the, the proper technique, psychological persuasion and repetition, persuade the people to, to, to actually go along with something that, that, in their, that in their better judgment, without all the bombastic um, persuasion, uh, they, they would not go along at all. So uh, the, the techniques are so perfected today, he knew it could be done, definitely. And so you get the people to, to cooperate and go along with it. They have whole chapters in this book, too, about getting people to cooperate for their own betterment, for survival capabilities. Oh, we're all in it together. All the usual story, we're all in it together. And, and here's your social responsibility to the greater good, the greater whole, etc. So this author then goes on about uh, appearing to understand your, your hesitation to swallow all of this. And he says, but naturally such a program poses a potential threat to our values more fundamentally than does negative eugenics. It opens the door to the frightening abuses of compulsion outlined in Aldous Huxley's Brave New World, such as the creation of special classes best fitted to the servants, to be servants uh, to the others who are rulers. With good reason, we might fear the consequences of such a system conducted according to the mad assumption of racists. And there is the very serious problem of determining which human qualities are desirable, especially for future generations who will live in profoundly different circumstances. Says, but these sobering considerations will not prevent the introduction of both negative and positive eugenic measures, as both knowledge of techniques and general demand for genetic improvement increase, in fact, at least regard in regard to negative eugenics, the process is already underway. In 1965, 2,000 Danes were compulsory sterilized under laws which make that the price for mentally retarded individuals and certain criminals and psychotics to live in the general community. 
It doesn't touch on Hitler or anything like that. You know, it's interesting. Because that gave eugenics a bad name. It went into the uh, closet for a little while. He says, it's noteworthy that in a country of four and a half million people, this is four times the number similarly, similarly sterilized in the United States during the same interval. And that was done mainly by the big boys who created uh, Cold Springs Harbor uh, laboratories in the U.S., and they were funded by the Rockefeller Foundation. Amazing the influence the Rockefellers have had in everything to do with the U.S. policy, foreign policy, wars, and everything else. Anyway, he says, but uh, I'm not recommending that we increase our our use of sterilization, but that we we increase our awareness of the implication for values of both genetic defect and measures for its control, now characteristic of small countries. Included in such considerations should be the fact that compulsory sterilization is not effective because it only involves those showing the defect, people who are born, and that the symptoms are obvious. For every defective person uh, detected, there are a hundred carriers who pass for normal and pass on the defective genes. Well, in other words, he's wanting to go to the carriers and kill off the carriers, even if they are, are normal in every respect. That's what he wants, you see. But he wants you to, 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 to be persuaded to come along to their reasoning and, and do, be, be, go along voluntarily and get it done. You see. And this is the whole thing, the creation of consent, you see. And all these big think tanks out there working for governments, all these big foundations that run them all, private foundations, which you never elect, all talk about the same things in the same terms, by the way, the creation and the manufacturing of consent. You'll want to do these things. We can persuade you to want to do these things. You see? So they want to go after after those who are carrying the particular genes, you see. Here we should... Uh, and by the way, uh, as I say, you've, you already see that, uh, uh, that they're giving, especially in the States, and maybe Britain too, they're telling parents, oh, this child, this, before they're born, the children's children are born, this child may be prone to allergies. And, and so all the way down to allergies is becoming regarded as a disease. An allergy. Which may or may not appear in the child. So it's a good enough reason to, 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 to sterilize them. They sterilize the parent as well because they, they carry that same gene. They sit so happily and glibly, these psychopaths, don't they? But anyway, it says here, we should note that the ancient dread and loathing of mental illness allows its victims to be compulsorily sterilized in the hope of reducing their undesirable traits, even though the genetic nature of such conditions is often dubious. There is as yet no comparable enthusiasm for compulsory sterilization of sufferers from severe inherited physical illnesses, although its genetic basis is certain. We tend to respond nowadays at least to disease of the body with sympathy instead of irrational fear and hate. In England, active discussion is going on over an original, if unconventional, project which might be expected to adapt the society to the future with the usual British attention to tradition. It's been proposed that Parliament enact an Aristogenes or Aristogenetics bill which would grant to the aristocracy of blood and mind certain eugenical privileges according to a recent provocative account which says 
the members of the House of Lords would, under the scheme, be allowed polygamous marriages, while knights would be asked to provide semen to a bank of superior genotypes. Women, married women, for the time being, will presumably be urged to use the bank by drawing freely on the account of their choice. This is back in the 60s. It's going on all the time, this stuff. To the above measures will soon be added means for selecting sex cells more precisely. For example, it may be possible to create a special vaginal diaphragm which would be capable of filtering out those sperm that bear certain damaged chromosomes or even genes. While such negative eugenic uh, use should create little stir, use of a similar diaphragm which will allow parents to screen sperm so as to determine the sex of their child could lead to problems if they result in, in, if result in numerical imbalance. For example, though it's difficult to find published corroboration, several independent authorities have told me, that the writer, that just such a situation exists in one small nation. Actually, they have a big one in China today. Uh, They claim that that largely as a result of several years of the male population of reproductive age is several times smaller than that of the female, that as a consequence women have been forced into desperate and often fruitless competition for men, while men have become an, an immature, arrogant and indolent minority that insists upon being supported by women. Should those circumstances and conclusions be verified, it would seem that marked inequality in numbers of men and women has already played a critical role in inducing drastic social changes in at least one country. It doesn't mention which one it is, even if it's true. All these techniques that depend upon selection are made potentially more powerful by the new methods for preserving and storing sex cells mentioned earlier. But modern genetics is moving far beyond these obvious primitive measures. Then he goes into something called neo-eugenics. Gradually, the chemistry of nucleic acids is being mastered, giving us control over the substance of which genes are made and the code in which their message is written. Within the next few decades, methods will likely be worked out for use of computers in conjunction with biochemical data so that the three-dimensional arrangements of the chemical groups making up genes, enzymes, and other proteins will be understood, then it should be possible to find out how their structures determine their function. That's all been done, by the way, since then. He knew all this because he sat in on on think tanks and and work groups, and no doubt government sponsor groups too, uh, given these tasks uh, that they figure out. Since the first benefits are likely to be techniques for synthesizing artificial vitamins, hormones, and antibiotics, and even for creating artificial photosynthesis so that an expanding population may have a food supply independent of living plant cells. Well, what they're actually doing today, as you know, they're trying to force you to, to, to believe, again, through uh, persuasion and consensus building and so on, uh, that uh, crickets and bugs are good to eat. That's the cheapest way to get to you to do it, you see. Eventually, chemists and computers will succeed in transplanting genes or even in creating artificial genes and enzyme systems to repair or replace damaged natural ones in human reproductive cells. Techniques are already available by which the proper substance, once it's available, could be inserted into the sperm or egg to prevent a genetic defect. Uh, Well, they're already moving genes, as we well know, in sperm and in the ovum and replacing them with other ones too. And they've done lots of experimentations, unbeknownst to the people who go for the treatment, because uh, they follow up the children and their progress of life to see if those particular gene substitutions have worked. The parents don't know. 
And it says here, it says, eventually it should be possible by these means to eliminate all genetic defects, including serious conditions such as hemophilia. See, that always gave you the terrible things first. The excessive tendency to bleed or albinism, total lack of skin, skin pigment. Actually, uh, as you well know, I'm sure through various articles that have come out too, that the government's wanting the perfect citizen, the perfect nature, a, a compliant person, placid, compliant, very trainable, uh, and obedient. Uh, that's really what they're after. And it says, as these words are written, uh, news reaches me that Dr. Lena Otto Lengi Nightingale had succeeded in, in making the first successful gene conversion in mammals, caused the pigment uh, lacking cells of uh, albino mice, albino mice to produce melanin pigment by injecting the DNA from a strain of black mice. No sooner has a sentence completed than the word comes that Dr. H. Gobind Korana has created the first artificial gene from simple organic chemicals. And you think that they're, they're, still, they're just working on that today. Organic, you know, the artificial gene. Yeah, synthetic gene. Dr. Dr. James Danielli of the State of the University of New York at Buffalo reports the first artificial synthesis of a living cell and 20 scientists are meeting at Ames Research Center to discuss a proposal of the National Aeronautics and Space Administration to seed the planet Mars with artificially created life forms. There's also the possibility of producing beneficial hereditary uh, transmissible changes. The appendix might be eliminated or tissues strengthened to prevent hernias or intervertebral disc disease. So in other words, all this is going to be done for your own good. I'll tell you something. In history, in history, nothing's ever been done for the good of the people. Nothing, folks. And when something devious, uh, when they want to build consensus and have, your, and have you give your consent to it, uh, believe you me, it's nefarious, it's nasty, and and they're bad things in, in in mind. Believe you me. So so perhaps it would be uh, good to grow extra sets of teeth or more hair to arrange different uh, rhythms for heartbeat, sleep, wake, and menstrual cycles. Intelligent artistic ability or cooperativeness might be increased. Now, if they give the general these abilities to the general population, even increasing intelligence, increasing... By the way, you cannot really use your intelligence if you're weak or sick or whatever, which we're all getting today because we're getting poisoned all the time. That's what they really want to do to you all, is poison you and make you sterile. That's working awfully well. If you look at the sperm counts of the male Western youngster today, is is, is plummeted way, way down there. So they don't, they don't plan to make you all happy. It'd be harder to control you, you see, if your intelligence was, was up there and you felt physically healthy, well and all, but and unstoppable, it'd be much, much harder to stop you from actually having your way as opposed to having them have their way. So, or, or since the characteristics of every body cell are maintained by the genes throughout life, eventually it should be possible to change the genetic condition of a fully grown individual. No longer would the phrase it's constitutional be the signal for despair, for a constitution would be easier to amend than the bylaws of a, a Kiwanis club. An appropriate substance might be introduced to cure any genetic defect present or to modify any normal characteristics such as those mentioned above. Now, since the guys who, who are behind this, who work with this, are the big pharmaceutical companies, the AMA and so on, they do not want anything cured, folks. Always remember the truth of it, because the whole system 
of Western medicine is for high profit and treatment of symptoms for life. That's a lot of profit. And that they ain't going to put themselves out of business, believe you me, because they like you. Or for another example, somebody, a colorblind adult, might be treated so they could perceive color normally. Perhaps a society which is super sensitive about color, which has learned to welcome this improvement, as well as the darkening of an albino, will have learned by then to be equally accepting if a normally light person should decide to darken his skin or vice versa. Well, we saw that with Michael Jackson. As our control over gene structure expands, more remote possibilities are raised. We cannot afford, as some have scoffed at, at the likelihood of, a new, of new techniques of gene tampering being used. As Dr. Roland D. Hotchkiss of Rockefeller Institute writes, we can trust this guy, right? Uh, the pathway will, like that leading to all man's enterprises and mischief, be built from a combination of altruism. <laughs> private profit and ignorance in a country where during every waking moment one is being told to acquire and enjoy the products of industry and industrial ingenuity we can well expect that one will be told he owes it to himself to improve his own genes as well as his neighbours and you can see the ads now oh you owe it to yourself go on, do it just do it all cells retain in their genes the codes for individuals' entire development from the fertilized egg through all the differentiation into eye, skin, bone, brain, and so on. So if one could restore to an adult body cell the embryonic non-specialization possessed by its fertilized egg ancestor, it would then be possible for it to develop into an identical copy of any adult cell, tissue organ, organ system, or body. And then he goes into an interesting topic. It's called hermaphrodism, or hermaphroditism. During embryonic life, each baby normally has the rudiments of the sex organs of both sexes. That's when you're really, really tiny, tiny in the womb. One set ordinarily is suppressed in favor of the other and appears in the adult as a small vestige of an undeveloped potentiality. It might be possible, perhaps, by modifying genes to cause those cells in an adult to return to their infantile power, resuming and completing the arrested development. Or maybe it would be easier to arrange that both male and female organs develop in the embryo in the first place. But in either case, the result would be a person who produced both sperm and eggs, a hermaphrodite. Recent studies of the currently unfortunate group known as intersexes have shown that various degrees of hermaphroditism occur spontaneously, though none is ever capable of producing both sperm and egg. There may be such well-developed fragments of both testes and ovaries and other external and internal organs as to make determination of sex doubtful or even completely erroneous. A child thought to be and raised as an ordinary girl may unexpectedly develop at puberty the deep voice, facial hair and body contours of the male or vice versa. And a while ago, a newscast contained an item about a Canadian researcher who claimed that genetic codes and controls now being developed could lead to the possibility of deliberately creating adult human beings who would have simultaneously the fully functional sexual organs of both male and female. Now, why would they be interested in doing all of this? Eh? I mentioned this before, folks. Actually, that's an ancient goal, actually, even in esoteric groups. 
In fact, even if you go into the, 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 the talk about gods and so on, you'll find that uh, Brahma, you know, created all the rest out of himself. You'll find the same ha- thing happened uh, um, if you think about Jehovah, because Jehovah created Adam. And then, and, 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 but at first it says in Genesis 1 that uh, he created man and woman. Both he created them, both man and woman. But then there was nobody to till the soil. So he's given a little hint. There's, a, there's another class getting born here. So he creates Adam. And then from Adam's compartment, and in Hebrew it says compartment, not, not rib. Uh, he he create, takes out the compartment, makes Eve. So male and female came from one, but in his same image he made them. You see? So you little hints at it there too. Plato goes into it as well, talking about old mythologies as well. Where when they walked, when the gods walked on Mount Olympus, uh, when they came towards you, that were men. When they, when when they passed you from the back, looked like women, and things like that. You see, and yet they find the same thing too with with Ra, who inseminated himself as well and created the goddess, and so on and so on and so on. It's a similar stories, but esoteric uh, talks go into. The perfection of man himself, but the balancing of the two hemispheres of the brain, the male and the female, but they're not really male and female at all. Uh, one is just to deal with, do, do with pure logic, and no one is pure logic, and the other one is, is to do with the emotional parts, which also get, uh, get, make you human, in other words. So both of them together technically complete you both, but it's not male or female. It's, it's to try to make out among certain circles to try to use it for their own uh, um, programs. But you, you're on talking about all those different developments too. By the way, before I, I've, I've, it's amazing how fast this time has just rushed through because I, I didn't know what I was going to talk about as usual tonight. But um, I was just thinking about the program put out by NASA a while back and they talked about it might be very difficult to send humans off into space because the time you got somewhere, you'd all be, you'd be dead or you'd have to keep retraining new generations on the long, long voyages to their destinations. And they talked about even uh, having uh, ovum and sperm literally in banks on board ship, which would get put together by robotic means and computers towards the end, so they get born and raised and then tutored by computers before they, they, they'd landed, etc. But another thought too, uh, but to, to, to stop all conflicts, uh, mate, mating conflict on board ship, was to create hermaphrodites, you see. So hermaphrodites wouldn't be in so much competition, you see. How can you compete with yourself? You see, go, go you know, yourself. But the thing is, uh, these folk could actually do that. Um, so really, uh, there are so many things on the go I've talked about for years, but I can't go into them now because it, it would take weeks to go through some of the topics, in fact, to give you uh, the histories behind them and the reasons and so on. All behind it all. But what I'm trying to tell you is that all these things that, that I'm talking about are in play today. This was written in the 1960s, this book, The Human Agenda. And the agenda was not put together by ordinary people. It's those in academia who've been pulled aside out of academia and raised up to higher standards and, and levels to de- and, and private organizations to deal with running the future. And we're here. This is the future. The future is here, you see. It's all in play, but I've not finished with us yet. 
But whenever they come out to say, we want to help you and eliminate disease, forget it. They've given us so much disease since they gave us inoculations uh, that it's un- unbelievable. And now they give you GMO food, which is poisonous in itself. Uh, and they give you the food soaked in pesticide, for God's sake, deadly pesticides. Uh, so they're not here to help you whatsoever. And these are the same big foundations that own the big international corporations and the big pharma industries that tell, that decide what kind of medicine you're going to get and what kind of uh, teaching, education that doctors are going to be taught in, the, in their universities too. But it's never for the good of the general public, believe you me. If, they, if it was for the good of the public, eventually they put themselves out of business by curing us all of all these, these awful diseases. And there's too much profit in disease, you see. It's a control factor. The whole point of creating an inter, interdependent world goes down to the individual, not just nations or areas of the world. It means you must be totally dependent for everything you need to survive on forces and others outside of yourself. And that's why eventually you won't be allowed to grow your own food uh, and, uh, and so on and so on. And you, that's why you can't opt out and say, I've got my shack, leave me alone. No, you've got to earn money to pay taxes or they, take that, they kick you out that shack you've got, things like that. You give no choice at all, and they call this a system democracy. So think for yourselves, people, and uh, think why things are really happening. Don't get caught up in the emotional rush. When you're being led down the garden path by fear and emotional rush, by a preacher or whatever it happens to be, fast-talking, fast-talking, hype, 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 you are being manipulated for profit or for something. Believe you me, get some stillness within you. Think for yourself, because that's what survival is all about. Your survival depends on you. And if you have no mind left to survive with, forget it, it's over. If it's full of erroneous ideas and conclusions, it's over already. Think for yourself. That's the greatest enemy that this whole system has. Remember, what I'm reading tonight comes out of what's called organization. And then enter, enter studies corporations of sciences, all organized, you see. And they want an organized system, an organized standardized society. Their enemy is the individual who can see this and, and say, hey, the king has no clothes. Do you realize we could say that all the time, the king has no clothes? All the things you're told to believe are normal today, which are not normal, or, or weren't a few years ago. Uh, if you say it, well, they come down and they want to crucify you. Because the, the, the politically correct crowd, the ones who are happy to adapt all the time to please their masters, will, will, will crucify you. But what you're being told in many instances is to believe that something which is technically insane is now uh, sane, you see. This is called democracy. Democracy does not give you choices at all. Definitely not of opinion. That term they'll use for it is liberalism, liberalistic thought. No, it, it, it has absolutely no liberalism in it whatsoever for any, any other opposing or different viewpoint.
So keeping control of your minds, if you, if you, I, hope you, I hope you all can. And I know too, you're all going through your own, your own minor crises too, with unemployment or fear of losing your jobs or marital problems and all the other things too, which are exaggerated today. Because if you watch television at all, you're not going to be happy with your spouse for very long. They're hyper, they're hypersexualizing everybody, and they've already done it really to an extent. And they keep showing you better ice cream, you know, better ice cream. This is even better, better ice cream. You can't get satisfaction if they keep saying, well, this is better, you see. Do you have this? Think for yourselves. Remember, two folks, you can help me take by here and uh, donate some pennies once in a while. And go to the website at cuttingthroughthematrix.com and also check out the website uh, of mine too. It's on what sentient, sentinel.eu. And I have other websites uh, as well, all listed in, in each of the two I've mentioned. And uh, you've got you the whole archive sections for free to go through and listen to many, many talks I've given over the years for free. I don't charge people f- for the use of it. But uh, it's true enough, people are, are so used to getting everything for nothing today on the internet. They think it's for nothing. And they don't want to help you out to, to even give you more information and keep you on your path. The path you're supposed to have, which is your path of exploring and finding out and thinking for yourself. Individuality, remember, is the enemy of all of this. It's the enemy of all their organizations. So from Hamish myself from Ontario, Canada, where it's been raining like monsoons, because we, we watch it get made, actually. You can watch it when they're, they're calling for a storm next day. You watch it get made the night before as all the jets are out by the World Air Force, Hoover, Hoover's behind it, uh, spraying with chemtrails all over the place and building up. And sure enough, you, next day you get the boom, bang, thunder, and the downpours. Etc., uh, etc. Et Other places, of course, they do a different spray and they get nothing but drought. And again, it's great too because the big uh, agri business boys are in it because they are deciding now in their futures industry uh, where you're going to get your food from and, what, and they're bet, putting bets on it what areas are going to go under with flooding or, or vegetables are going to rot in the ground because of it or there's going to be drought. It's, it's all worked together at the top, you see. It's always been that way. The corrupt always rule the world through deception. But don't expect this on the mainstream media. <laughs> so as I say, from Hamish from Serpent to your Canada, it's good night to me, your God, or your God's scroll with you. <laughs> <laughs>